Hello, neighbor. You are listening to the New Garden Church podcast. We are glad you're here. This year, we are walking through the whole Bible together as a church family day by day and week by week. We're meeting online right now, but we normally meet at 10 a.m. at DuPont Tyler Middle School in Hermitage, Tennessee. You can catch our weekly gatherings live by checking out our website at www.newgarden.church online. We would love to hear from you. This week, Jeff provided a message from the book of Samuel about the importance of obeying the voice of God over all the other noise. We hope that you enjoy what you hear today and check back in with us again soon. of Long Story Short. Now, if you've been with us for the past few weeks, you know this year we're taking a year-long journey through the Bible. So far, we've covered Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and Judges. Now, if you grew up going to Sunday school, you got your sticker for memorizing all the books of the Bible, then you know what book to expect next, right? The beautiful short story of a Moabite woman named Ruth. Right, and you would be right to expect that, but hopefully by now the stories of the Bible have prepared you for twists and turns. We now come in our reading plan to a fork in the the road called the Tanakh. Now, we don't have time to cover that here this morning and talk about our book for today, so if you're interested, I'm going to link some resources on our website at newgarden.church slash 2021 for more information on the order of our biblical books and why this year we're choosing the Tanakh version of our reading plan. Now, as we've seen so far, the Bible is full of stories and people. The stories often drive home certain points that we can apply to our lives, and the people in the stories often portray examples to learn from. But if we think quickly over the list of characters we've read about and talked about, would you say the majority of the people are good or bad? I think, well, some are good and some are bad. Some are mostly good but have deep flaws But often we can learn just as much from the bad examples of what not to follow as we do from the brief examples of like good people. Um, Like other than Jesus, you would always do well to follow his example, but we're not there in the story yet. Spoiler alert. So this morning we're going to look at another bad example and glean a few things. The main idea today is this, the importance of obeying the voice of God. And since I'm not texting this to you, I can use God's gift of inflection to make sure you and I are on the same page. Today, we're focusing on the importance of obeying the voice of God, which would be slightly different than the importance of obeying the voice of God or the importance of obeying the voice of God. This morning, we're picking up in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Now, we're going to go quickly through this all the way to the end of chapter 15. And since it would take too long to read it all, we're just going to be touching down at a few points to track the progression of the account of King Saul and his life to see what it has to show us about the importance of obeying the voice of God. Now, just a side note, First and Second Samuel were really a single piece of writing. It was just too big to fit on one single scroll. I guess you couldn't carry a big old scroll around, so they had two scrolls. But it's one cohesive book. And historically, it's often combined with First and Second Kings, or just like Samuel, it was one book that was split into two. So when you put those all together, you put Samuel and Kings together, they recount the rise of the Israelite monarchy after the time of Judges, 
when Israel first entered the promised land. The major thing we get to see in these books is God being faithful to the covenant he made to his people through Moses. Now, you may remember that this covenant includes like a ton of laws and regulations about how to conduct religious and civil life. And at the end, God makes a set of conditional promises that encompass Israel's relationship with him. Blessing for obedience, cursing for disobedience, and restoration for repentance. And that's the cycle that Israel experiences throughout the writings of the Old Testament. Now, it's important to note that the story points to God knowing exactly what's going to happen with Israel, like he also knows with us. So he doesn't say, if you fall into these curses and repent, I will restore you. He says, when you fall into these curses and repent, I will restore you. It's as if God knows the condition of the human heart and the path that we will naturally take, which leads us to today's text. So as we read, keep an eye out for these two phrases, obey the voice of Yahweh and obey the voice of the people. And based on these two roads which will be taken, you can contrast the results. Now there's a sermon spoiler alert for you this morning. It's not going to go well. So we pick up the story towards the end of Samuel's life. Now if you remember how Joshua served as this bridge between the leadership of Moses to the judges, Samuel is going to serve as a bridge between the judges and the king. He was Israel's final judge, but also served as their prophet. But he's getting old, and there doesn't seem to be anyone apparent in the succession plan to replace him. And so the people are getting nervous. They wonder, like, who is going to protect us when Samuel is gone? So they ignore the fact that God himself has always come through for them. And they ignore the deeds from, like, the past, and, and they demand a king to fight their battles for them. And Samuel warns them that a king is not going to go well for them. He reminds them that God is their king and that they can trust Yahweh. But they refuse. They want a king that they can see and one that looks like their expectations, or in their words, like all the other nations. So what is God's response? 1 Samuel chapter 8. And Yahweh said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So Samuel does what God asks. Samuel obeys the voice of God that tells him to obey the voice of the people. Samuel, he goes on to try to warn them about what having a fallible human monarch will be like. You're going to be taxed. Your sons are going to be commissioned for the army. Your daughters will be forced into the service of the king. He's going to take the best of your flocks. And someday you're going to cry out because you're going you're to feel enslaved to this king that you have chosen. But this doesn't persuade them any differently. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of Yahweh. And Yahweh said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. So Samuel is serving as the voice of Yahweh to the people. So when they refuse to obey Samuel, in essence, they're refusing to listen to God. And they say, we want a king to fight our battles, which is exactly what God has said he would do for them. And then notice their attitude. They say, we want to be like all the other nations. Like every parent will recognize this attitude. You promise your children good and healthy things that will keep them safe and happy. And they whine, no, we don't want that. You know, like we want... We want what everybody else has. So God tells Samuel to give them what they're asking for and 
you know, let them learn for themselves how that's going to turn out for them. So then the story turns to Saul, who is described as handsome and a head taller than anybody else. Like this is the kind of person the people would look for in a king. And Saul, he's out searching for donkeys and he ends up at Samuel's house and Samuel anoints him as king, but then later he's declared king in front of the people, but they look around and they can't find him because he's hiding. But eventually they bring him out for everybody to see. They ran and brought him out. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man Yahweh has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. And the people shouted, long live the king. This is the kind of king Israel demanded. They judged him by sight, but not what was going on inside. And God gave them what they wanted in their heart in order to show them the problem in their heart. Like an interesting note here, the prophet of God, Samuel, authoritatively reveals to Saul that God has appointed him king. But rather than obeying faithfully, Samuel disbelieves and then he tries to run from God's command. Even with God's blessing and promise, he was timid about obeying the voice of God through the prophet. Like, who am I? You know, I don't come from any special clan. And then he's hiding in the baggage like a coward. And this is the first glimpse we get into Saul's heart. Now, a little later on, Samuel has this reaffirmation ceremony for Saul. And then he reminds the people of the Mosaic covenant with the this, this specific application to the monarchy. If you will fear Yahweh and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of Yahweh, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow Yahweh your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of Yahweh, but rebel against the commandment of Yahweh, then the hand of Yahweh will be against you and your king. So you get this reminder of the Deuteronomy covenant. Blessing for obedience, curses for rebellion. But as much as Samuel can remind the people and Saul, it doesn't seem to have an effect on their decision. Now the narrator is going to go on to tell a story to show Saul's continued unbelief through his self-reliance and his religious superstition. Saul sets up an offering in a way that goes against God's command to him through Samuel. He does so because he thinks performing religious ceremonies would help him win the battle. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of Yahweh your God with which he commanded you. For then Yahweh would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. Yahweh has sought out a man after his own heart, and Yahweh has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what Yahweh commanded you. So Saul is told by Samuel to wait to make the sacrifice before the battle until Samuel can get there to perform the ceremony. And Saul waits for a while, but then he finally makes the decision to go ahead and make the sacrifice himself. Now, what we're seeing here is that Saul is relying on religious form rather than trusting God's words to him through the prophet. He thinks if he goes through the right religious actions that he can get God to do what he wants God to do instead of listening and obeying what God has said. And in the final scene of Saul's kingship, there is this fatal flaw that's revealed unbelief resulting in disobedience. His heart wasn't in it. As Saul tells him, the Lord has sought a man after his own heart. Saul was just trying to look good for the people so the people would follow him. Now Saul's given a final test, this final opportunity, probably many years into his kingship now. And that final test is to fulfill the conquest of the promised land, 
to be God's hand of justice and judgment against the people who had turned away from God hundreds of years before. And Samuel said to Saul, Yahweh sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now, just a brief explanation on this issue of divine judgment on an entire people group. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but it probably needs to be mentioned every time we come to a verse like this. It's very hard to reconcile the God we see revealed in Jesus with the God we read about in verses like this. So we have to recognize that God is working with a people group in a certain time, in a certain place, in a certain culture. Like to use a sports analogy, if you think about the Bible like a football field, and the end zone that God is trying to get to is Jesus, but he's starting on the one yard line on the other side of the field. God could easily throw a ball 99 yards for an instant touchdown, like instant revelation of Jesus as God. But he knows there are no humans on his team that can run fast enough to catch that ball. And so he has to work five yards at a time, 10 yards at a time in order to move his people down the field closer to a fuller revelation of who he is. You could call it kind of like a progressive revelation. God loves his people enough to work with them and perhaps even have them ascribe characteristics to God that we would see as sinful in order to move the ball down the field until he is perfectly revealed in Jesus's life, sacrificial death, and triumphant resurrection. Now that, that's a huge rabbit hole that we should probably explore sometime, but for now, we'll just recognize that there are difficult passages in the Bible that we have to wrestle with. We're not ignoring them, but we're trying to understand them in their ancient Near Eastern context. So I recognize that to our modern ears, this is a shocking command. But regardless of how shocking it is to us, the point of the story is Saul failed to obey God in this command. He does not destroy every living thing. He spares the expense of livestock and King Agag. Now note that it was not mercy that caused him to spare the king, but greed. So Samuel confronts him about it. Why then did you not obey the voice of Yahweh? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of Yahweh? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of Yahweh. I have gone on the mission on which Yahweh sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to Yahweh, your God, in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has Yahweh a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of Yahweh? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of Yahweh, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of Yahweh and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before Yahweh. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of Yahweh, and Yahweh has rejected you from being king over Israel. 
So Saul is busted, and he knows it, and he can't escape it. So he makes a very familiar move. He throws other people under the bus, and he makes excuses for himself, like his true heart is revealed. He wants to look good in front of the people. He wants power and influence, and knowing that he's had it, he makes one last plea, like, okay, man, okay, Samuel, what, I know I've sinned, but just don't tell anybody. Like, hide my sin from the people. Then he said, I have sinned. Yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may bow before Yahweh your God. But Samuel won't have it. Now he does go back with Saul, but then he calls out King Agag to be brought out, and Samuel very publicly finishes the job of killing him in front of the people, which points out Saul's failure. And then Saul and Samuel, they part ways. Now we understand Saul's heart here when we later compare it to King David. When he commits like an even more grievous sin, taking a man's wife, murdering him to cover up the affair, and his response is true repentance. No blame shifting, no downplaying, no excuse making. Like he writes a psalm confessing his sin against Yahweh, like against you and you alone have I sinned, which he owns his sin which is to be held up directly against Saul's life as a lesson for us to learn from. Now, the many things we learn in this passage, uh, the thing I want you to take with you this morning is the importance and the blessing of obeying the voice of God. This passage shows what happens when we listen to the voice of people rather than God's voice. We see the foolishness and the consequences, the curse that we bring down on ourselves. Obedience can be a tricky topic. Like there are many phrases that I've only heard in the context of church, like hedge of protection, uh, the word partake, and the phrase slippery slope. Usually I hear the phrase slippery slope when you're speaking about something new that's going to destroy the church. Uh, but I want to warn you that the idea of obedience can be a slippery slope too, because it's often it leads to a rigid form of religion that we think we can earn our salvation and blessing by doing the right things and avoiding the wrong things. Like you wear the right clothes to the right church at the right time, you use the right translation, sing the right songs in the right way, and while all those things might be fine, they can lead to this outside lifestyle that doesn't lead to an inside transformation. So I want to be very clear about what it means for us to obey the voice of God we obey Jesus. The writer of Hebrews makes this clear. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. In our story today, Samuel was God's mouthpiece for God's people. For us today and for the rest of time, Jesus is that mouthpiece. He is the one we are supposed to listen to because he is Yahweh. And he gives us this command in his final words when he was with his disciples. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Thankfully, we no longer have to wrestle with the minutiae of technical outworkings of the Old Testament law in modern day. We obey Jesus. We listen to Jesus. We have his teaching and the revelation in the New Testament, which is why we read this book. It's why we know this book. We teach this book. We want to understand how this book works. And so from our story today, we see that it is an important thing to obey God's voice. God knows what he's doing. 
God knew exactly what would happen when he made Saul king. He knew exactly what would happen to the people when they put their trust in a human king over God. He gave them what they were asking for as a lesson to them. Now, trusting this truth that God knows what he is doing is especially important when it seems like the odds are stacked against us. God's people saw the immediate threat of the Philistines, but instead of trusting God to protect them, just like he always had, they feared and they demanded a human solution to the problem. This got them in trouble. We can be just like them, can't we? Like it's easy to say we trust God when things are going well, but it's difficult to actually trust him when we can't see how things are going to work out. Now, several times today, we saw Israel and King Saul on their behalf seeing a course of action that seemed to to them to be like more effective or more practical. Like, can we really trust God to protect us? Don't we need a military commander? Isn't that how wars are usually won? Or Saul saying, you know, surely God wouldn't want all this delicious livestock to go to waste. And think of the advantages of having a hostage king. Trusting in human strength and human wisdom gets us in trouble. I'm sure there are truths in Scripture that you find it more convenient to ignore because other routes seem more like practical or efficient, right? But our problem is that like the Israelites, we humans, we have a tendency to ignore God's voice and listen to the voice of men who tell us that we should forge our own identity. Now, finally, it's important when talking about obedience to remember that obedience is a heart issue. It's a matter of your heart, your motivation, the thing you value most highly. As we see with Saul, he did many religious-looking things, but it was from a selfish motive or superstitious motive. Like, perhaps if I pray and offer a sacrifice, then God will bless the army. God has already promised to use the army to deliver Israel. Saul did not need to compel God to do things through this religious ceremony. God is after your heart, not after your performance. We obey God, not to receive God's favor. We obey God because we have God's favor. Obedience to God's commands do not save us. We'd all be lost otherwise, because no one of us is able to obey them perfectly. So a lesson we can take from Saul's life is this dire consequence of pretending that you have obeyed when you haven't. Stop pretending. Stop hiding. I wonder how many of us attend church regularly. We give our money. We serve in a ministry. We sing the songs, because we think that somehow doing those things will earn us God's favor. We're like Saul, offering a sacrifice that was not commanded in order to try to win God's favor for the army. Saul, he had it backwards. Obey, yes, as a result, in response. We obey God's commands as a response to his goodness to us. This is the reason Jesus said we need a new heart. He did not say we need to make a make better decisions or try harder. We need a new heart. So if you struggle to obey God's word, Let your takeaway from this morning not be, I need to try harder to obey God. That is going to get you nowhere. Your takeaway should be this. Pray for new motivation. Like, Lord, help me want you more than anything else in this world. Help me desire you above anything else. Help me understand just how good you are, how fulfilling, how worth it is, how worthy you are. The truth is that God is a good, loving, wise creator who loved us and designed us to operate in a certain way in relationship with him and receive blessing and joy as a result because of our stubbornness and insistence on being in control of ourselves or sometimes because we get caught up in worshiping the creation rather the creator we have turned our backs on him blessing for obedience it's a promise it's not an ultimatum do this or else sort of thing not not a bribery sort of way like 
I know you better than you'll know yourselves, and I care for you, and I want you to be happy and healthy in safe sorts of way. The path to lasting peace and joy is through hearing God's voice and obeying. And we hear his voice most clearly through Jesus Christ, who entered into our world of rebellion, showed us the right way to live in relationship to God and each other, and then paid the debt for sin. He took our punishment on the cross in order to buy us back from the slavery of sin and death, the ultimate act of love, dying to save another's life. This is a gift that we did not deserve, that we could not earn, and he gives it to us freely. He says, trust me, obey me, follow me. Don't fall into the trap of obeying any other voice. Obey my voice. So let's listen and respond to his voice today as we go to the table. That's it for this week. Thank you for checking in with us and we'll be back with another episode next week.